Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. It's so good to see all of you tonight, all your faces. Glad you're here. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I just thank you that from the beginning, that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, even there in the garden, you had a plan of salvation. Even there, you talked about how, how Jesus would stomp on the devil. I just thank you, God, that from the beginning of the end to the Bible, you have revealed yourself. You have revealed who you are. You have revealed and continue to reveal to us this plan of redemption that you had. We just thank you, God, that your word is your self-revelation. And Father, you want us to take your word and reveal who you are and reveal this good news, reveal your plan, reveal the gospel to others. So Lord, we just ask that you would fill us tonight with your Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, you would guide us into all truth, that, that the things that we've believed that aren't true, that, that you would rearrange our thinking into alignment with your word. We thank you for the examples in the Bible of evangelism and evangelist. So we ask, Lord, that, um, that you would open up our minds, and I pray that my words would be full of spirit and full of life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I've started taking a course, um, a course on preaching ministry and a course in Christian theology. So all week long, I've been reading about how the Bible is the self-revelation of God. And that is the role of preachers and teachers and evangelists is to let others know what God has said about himself. He, he is a self-revealing God. He's revealed his nature in his word, and, and I've just enjoyed that. So I do want to ask you to save your questions for the end because I can tend to get distracted. <laughs> oh, yes, I can tend to get distracted. And also, um, I believe on your handout are the resources that I've been using to put together this material. Of the four books, the best one to buy would be that first, that first one, Primal Fire, Reigniting the Church with the Five Gifts of Jesus. Um, that one was, was really transformational for me to read. So that one, that one was a great one. Okay, so tonight I've brought one of my laptops, and if you do not have internet access at home or a computer at home or a way to take the test, the five-fold ministry test, um, Jan Ricky over here has got my password, and she can help you um, take the test. So how many of you have been unable to take the test? Because, okay. All right, so the two, Miss Daisy and Maria, right? I get up front and every name leaves me. <laughs> um, so I would like y'all to go first. So whoever wants to, to go first, 
there's a 10-minute test and a five-minute test, okay? And so after these two have gone, if there are others that just haven't gotten around to it or haven't had time or have forgotten, you're welcome to just um, to go after them. And I can try to bring, you know, if, if there's a great demand, I can try to bring the laptop back next week as well. Um, so just if there's an empty seat, go and take the test. You can take the five-minute one or the 10-minute one. Like I said the first week, it's going to say, it might say, apostle or actually Jamie Lilly took it and it said pastor if it says pastor don't freak out it does not mean that you know you've got to quit your job sell all you have and you know go lead a church in Wisconsin okay what it means is you are pastoral so you can just put it make it an adjective if it says evangelist you're evangelistic if it says prophet you're prophetic Teacher, teacherific, pastor, pastoral. So it me, it's going to give you the noun, the position, the role, the title, but it, you're walking in that ministry, okay, in that five-fold ministry area. It doesn't mean that you're going to be leading a church next year. You might, but, but don't let that freak you out. So was anyone, is there anyone that would like to share a result that they had that surprised them on their five-fold test? Okay. Yeah, mine said evangelist. (laughs) (laughs) That surprised me because I feel like I'm more of an apostle. Okay, anyone else? All right. I did have the apostle, but but a lot of the different questions, like you said, you're a blend of, of a little bit of everything, right? So, yeah. I think my husband was a high teacher, like 27. Um, I'm a 24. But some of us are a blend, and we should be. You know, we should care about teaching. We should care for the needs of people. We should want to share the gospel. We should. Jesus was all. Jesus was all five, and so we're each a part of that because we carry his spiritual DNA in us. Was there anyone else that had a surprising result or one that maybe scared you or (laughs) you weren't sure about? Lisa's pointing to Doug. Did you want to share, Doug? He's teacher. Amen. Amen. All right. And as, what was that? Yes. And we know about evangelism. And as Bishop was sharing, you know, each, in each one of these roles, you can be a teacher who preaches. You can be all through Acts. We see preaching that they were sharing the gospel. We see preaching. We see that in the apostle Paul and his ministry, pastors preach. So any of these gifts, you could also have a communication component. You might be a writer. That might be the way that you share what God has given you. Or you might be a blogger. You might be a speaker. Um, There's all kinds of ways to share what God puts in each one of us. And even over time, that can change. Excuse me, that can change. Okay, Daniel, if you'll put up the image. Oh, it's kind of hard to see. I apologize, but I can read it. So as I said the first week, I did a survey um, of my friends. So just among my friends. So if your name isn't listed, it just means my friends didn't write your name in the survey. But some of my friends, I did a survey 
and I asked who was recognized as an evangelist at Global River. And then I separated the answers from staff and congregation. For each one, I separated staff and congregation. Pastor Willie, 17 people. Daniel, Christian, Alicia, they both got two votes. Pastor Tom and um, Nico both got one. From the congregation, Big Doug, 14 votes. Um, Brenton Irving, eight. James Harmon, five. Miss Addie, three. The rest of us were twos and ones, but the very best answer is the one where they didn't put a name. They said, anyone that can carry the gospel outside the four walls is recognized as an evangelist. Evangelism is a spiritual gift that is easily accessible to all of us because first of all, you don't have to go to seminary. You um, don't have to get over your fear of public speaking. You can go right up to someone in Belk or in Walmart and speak to them. Requires little training or education, but it does require a heart. You know, what I'm learning um, as I'm learning about preachers and pastors, there's a love for God and a love for people. There's a love for God and there's an ache for people. And that's what evangelism requires, a love for God and a heart for the loss. I put a dose of courage and just a willingness to be used by God. So this should be on your handout. This is kind of taken from those four books, um, description, a description of evangelist. They're focused on those who have not yet become disciples of Jesus. So they're focused on the pre-Christians. They're gifted at making friends. You know, some of us, we all have different levels of social skills, different levels of comfort zones. The evangelists make friends easily. They, they don't shy away from speaking to someone. I shared with Pastor Willie, this was him, the life of the party. Okay, they, are, they can often be the life of the party. They're a lot of fun. Most likely, they're extroverts, but they don't have to be. But most likely, they are extroverts. Introverts and extroverts, like I, I by nature am an introvert. Um, the week that I had my hand surgery, I only left the house one time and I was so happy. Like that's <sighs> just to stay home. I'm a homebody, but I can be very personal. So just because I can talk to people and I love to talk doesn't mean that I'm an extrovert. I just recharge at home alone <laughs> by myself. That's where I gain all the energy to, to relate to people. So you can be an introvert and be an evangelist. Just this, that courage, that willingness, that surrender, that desire to love others. Evangelists have a gift to make the gospel applicable to people's lives. They show them, what, you know, people always want to know what's in it for me. That's what they want to know. That's why when I began this series, I didn't want people to think I was just going to stand up and talk about pastors because there would be nothing in it for you. <laughs> But people want to know what's in it for me, so we have to make it applicable to their lives. Evangelists help people see God's love and calling. And they're also relational. They're good listeners. It, listening is a skill that, that's very hard to learn. How many of you would say you're good listeners? Cheryl, okay, Adrian, some. You're getting better. I'm a really good talker. 
but I'm not the best listener, but I'm learning. There have been times where God has put me in people's lives when there were no words. You know, sometimes when you're walking with someone, especially through the death of of a loved one, there are no words. And you just have to listen. You know, you listen, you hold their hand, you just, you're pastoral. So there's a pastoral component of evangelism because you're listening to people's stories. You're listening to what they, what they believe. Okay, so let's look at what the Bible says about evangelism. It says a lot, but I've just I'm chosen a few verses in these references. You're going to recognize the verses. Most likely the references are on your handout. Luke 4, 18 and 19, and this is what Jesus announced that he came to do. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's probably that Greek word, euangelizo. I probably said it wrong because it's been a few years since I've had Greek. But that's that word where we get evangelized, good news. Bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So it's not just we're going to give them eternal life. It's not just that they're going to have eternal life, but Jesus came to give life now. So part of evangelism is helping people get set free from their hurts and their hangups, these things that Jesus came to do, bring good news, release to captives, healing to set free those who are oppressed. It's good news. It's good news. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Jesus commanded his disciples, go, go, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So, Before we can make disciples, first we have to go. We have to step out. Mark 16, 15 through 17, and he said to them, go. Go into all the world. Now, sometimes Christians, and and I have been guilty of this, especially the years when I was homeschooling and my children were very involved in church activities, I lived a very insulated life surrounded by Christians. But Jesus said, go into all the world, and that means going and hanging out with people who are different than you. Okay, I'm going to confess something to y'all. If any of y'all ever used a vape, anybody ever used a vape? Okay, I vaped, yes. I vaped yesterday. I did. I took a hit, not a big one, because I knew I'd cough my lungs up. But when my 23 my 23-year-old nieces, I think I've hit a vape three times in three years. But when they say, here, hit my vape, it makes them laugh. They like film me. Look, here's Aunt Lisa. Look at Because like I'm the sweet little church lady. Now I'm not addicted, so I don't think it's sin. I've got my prayer ministry tomorrow. Pastor Tom can set me straight. And Loretta. But, you know, in, in certain ways, without falling into sin, we have to be able to relate to people. I hit a vape, and I did not cough. I was quite proud of myself. <laughs> it was all I could do not to cough. But, but, but we're to go into all the world, and that means going. I've taken them into vape shops. I've bought their vape juice. Now, they gave up smoking 
to come live with me. So vaping is slightly the lesser evil from, from what I've heard. But anyway, I've gone to places that weren't comfortable. I don't fit in with all the bongs around me, but they take pictures of me because they think that's really cute that here I am in the vape shop or wherever, you know, wherever they need to go and I was their ride, I took them um, within limits. There are limits, there are limits. It's, it's a fine line. It, it's really a fine line when we try to go into all the world because we want to reach the world and influence the world. We don't want to act like the world. But three times, just three times I've vaped. <laughs> Bless my heart. Okay. Go in, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved. But the one who has not believed will be condemned. Okay. Luke 10, 2. This is Jesus talking. He was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul says, um, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And when it comes to evangelism, we each have a role. We each have a role. Your role may be the midnight hour being the intercessor, praying for the, the Lord to send labors into the harvest. Your prayers may give Doug wisdom on where to go or what to say. It may help someone else to disciple because discipleship is part of evangelism. If you just leave them hanging, they're going right back out to what they were doing. So we all play a role. So there's no greater, I don't believe, greater or Apostle Paul didn't say there was a greater or lesser role, but that God was doing all of it. God made it grow. I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, 6. So how did the apostles evangelize? And, and this is what's important. In everything that we do, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Pastor Tom has been training me to lead prayer ministry. Do I feel like I have the ability to do that? No. Have I had a lot of experience with really major demonic things? No. But do I know someone who could tell me what to do in those situations? Yes. His name is Holy Spirit. So everything that we do, whether it's evangelism or preaching or teaching or prophesying or being an apostle, creating new things, it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing we can do without the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the example. In the book of Acts, they were walking in evangelistic ministry after they were empowered by the Holy Spirit in, um, at Acts 1-8 in Pentecost. The first, one of the first things they did, they began to preach. Peter stood up and he preached. Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then it's connected. You will be my witnesses. It wasn't, you know, you're going to receive power and then you can go out to lunch and have a good meal. No, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. So there's a reason that we are given power is so that we can go and be witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, close by, 
or all Judea and the region in Samaria where the people who were very different from them were. Part of evangelism is crossing cultures. It's being able to go into the vape shop and say, hey, how are you doing today? It's being able to go to Staples and seeing someone dressed and looking very differently and saying, how's your day going? And not being put off by how they look or what they're wearing or what emblem their shirt says or even what, what, what political party it's representing. It's crossing cultures. That's Samaria. It's some, Jesus witnessed to a Samaritan woman. We are to cross cultures, cross boundaries. And as far as the remotest part of the earth. Woo-wee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. Acts 4, 29 through 31. And this is um, Peter and John. And they said, And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bondservants, excuse me, to speak your word with all confidence, with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. What I like about this, um, this, ver- this passage is that they were already filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so here they were refilled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're running low on the oil in your lamp, I think it was... It was probably last fall. I was up in Wisconsin visiting my son, and I just kept saying over and over, fill me up, Holy Spirit. Fill me up, Holy Spirit. Fill me up, Holy Spirit. I had no idea why, and I still don't know why, but I'm still, fill me up, Holy Spirit. Fill me up. Fill me up. We are filled, and we are refilled, and the result was they spoke the word of God with boldness. Typically, that word in the Greek means free speech. It's like you speak freely without fear. It's very interesting. I'm much more fearless sharing gospel stuff in Spanish than I am in English. I don't know. And even be, well, now that I've been in seminary and pursuing licensing and I preach, it give, it's given me a, a relatable point. Because I'm not, I'm not the best at um, cold turkey evangelism, but we're going to talk, talk a little bit more about that. Okay, this is good. Divine appointments are biblical. Acts 8, verse 26 and 29, and this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got ready, and he went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So divine appointments are biblical. Holy Spirit said, Go this way, go down this road. And then there was a relationship formed, an interaction. The only biblical reference to 
an evangelist, as a noun, is to, was about Philip, Acts 21, 8 and 9. On the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist. So we know there was a lot of evangelism going on because that's how the gospel spread. Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. So Philip the evangelist. So that's the only reference. Did y'all enjoy Pastor Bishop's message last week on prophets and prophecy? That was great. That was really great. I loved it. It was good. Okay. 1 Corinthians 2, 4. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in, the dem- but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. So this is an example of the power encounter. Like, he was not an eloquent man. He was a short little man that was balding. He was not eloquent of speech. Eloquence has, it, eloquence does not matter when it comes to teaching or preaching or sharing the gospel. Eloquence, actually anything that puffs you up is really your greatest enemy. My greatest enemy is pride, therefore my greatest friend is vulnerability. That's why I just told you about me vaping. Other than It was like, Holy Spirit, say, what about you? <laughs> just sharing my real life, you know, sharing the real things. Per, not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So anything that we do for the Lord, we can do it in our own flesh. Like, I could have skipped my time with the Lord today. I could have skipped praying today. I could have skipped my Spanish worship music. I could have, you know, just put a bunch of notes together and stood up here and read it to you. But without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, they would not be words of spirit or words of life. They would not be words of impartation, words of change, words of courage, because our words have power. Our words can impart. Our words can, I think it was Abner Suarez one time was talking about teaching, and I just wrote in my journal, I want to teach more. And that's where all this stuff started, five words. I want to teach more. What did he say? I have no idea. But we have to have Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk in just a second. We'll talk about the role of Holy Spirit in evangelism specifically. Okay, this is good. This is Paul. There, there are a lot of scriptures about evangelism, and I had to pick and choose to, um, to keep this part short. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. This is Paul. He says, for though I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all so that I might gain more. To the Jews, I became a Jew, uh, excuse me, to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might gain Jews. To the weak, I became weak that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by all means save some. He learned how to relate. And then he said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. 
part of being able to relate to others is to put the gospel in terms that people understand and to reach them where they are with words that they understand. It's called, the big fancy word of it is to contextualize the gospel. Like if I went to Costa Rica and shared the gospel in English, it would profit nobody because it's not their language. We wanna learn the language of people. So the groups that you're ministering to, you wanna learn, well, how do they talk? You know, what is their culture? You don't want to offend people because you don't, want, don't know their culture. Even here in the States, like even understanding the Catholic culture, there's a charismatic culture, there's all kinds of cultures. So part of being an evangelist is understanding the culture of the people to which God is sending you. To understand it, to respect it. You don't have to agree with it or approve it to love them in it. And uh, 2 Timothy 4, 5, uh, the spiritual father Paul writes, But as for you, use self-restraint in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So what is the the role of the Holy Spirit? So the evangelist, Loretta, whose number one gift was evangelism, must be in tune with the Holy Spirit and his promptings. Sometimes Holy Spirit will lead us to do something or say something or go somewhere, and we think it's crazy. But over time, as Holy Spirit leads us, we learn the character of Holy Spirit and that he's wise and that he's smart, and we see over time that he's faithful and he's not going to abandon us when he sends us out. So we learn to tune in to Holy Spirit and his promptings about people. You know, you can be somewhere and feel, especially people that are um, led by their hearts, they can feel if someone else is hurting or someone that discerns spirits. You can feel what other people are feeling. So we have to be in tune with that. So the Holy Spirit empowers evangelists in proclaiming the gospel But what the Holy Spirit also does is works within the hearts of those to whom he's sending you. So there's the messenger, and then there's the one who's going to hear it. But the Holy Spirit is preparing their hearts to hear the message. Because none of us came to Jesus without the Holy Spirit preparing our hearts. It's impossible. He draws us in. Um, Neil Cole, oh, I've got a couple quotes. I think they're on your, hand, your handout. Before the evangelist interacts with someone, the Holy Spirit is at work preparing the way long before the preacher arrives. For me and my story, the summer before um, I got saved, three really bad things happened. I had a really bad um, medical condition that I was diagnosed with. I got a speeding ticket, 81 and a 55, and my mother paid my car insurance. She was furious with me, 81 and a 55. And then this longtime boyfriend I had broke up. He had had back surgery. Pain makes you mean. We broke up. 
So these three things happened, and that summer I was at a church camp, a Methodist church camp, and they enacted a drama to Ray Boltz's song, Watch the Lamb. And after that song, I, I had my Bible, and I, I somehow landed on Psalm 51, and I just wept and wept because I saw Jesus, you know, enacted, going to the cross, and I knew, I knew my sin. I knew my sin. I had you know, eight long years of promiscuity and drugs and alcohol and cussing people out and stealing. You know, I, my sin was, was huge. But it wasn't right then that I got saved. It was when God sent the evangelist to my dorm room door, this young lady that had a vision for two dorms at NC State for everybody to be saved, Lee and Sullivan. And I was the eighth floor of Sullivan, and she knocked on my door, Back then, we did surveys. <laughs> we did surveys. And we did a, I did a spiritual interest survey, and she invited me to a Bible study. And that's how I got saved. But the Holy Spirit had been working on me. I mean, first, I had to come to the end of me. I had to come to the end of me. And it was, it was, it was bad. It was a bad, you know, it was a bad summer. And then I saw the gospel enacted at a church meeting. But I didn't get saved then. But it was when somebody knocked on my door and just asked me some questions, invited me to a Bible study. Then that's how I got saved. But the Holy Spirit, you know, somebody planted the seed and somebody else watered it, but God made it grow. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. So long before we talk to someone, share with them, share life with them, Holy Spirit is working on their hearts. The Holy Spirit, this is Neil Cole, is the true evangelist who convicts people's hearts, opens their eyes, and points them to Christ. So evangelists may share the gospel, but we need Holy Spirit to show us who, what, when, how, why. We need Holy Spirit to show us the method, the process, how to do it. So one thing I learned was that there are evangelists that lead churches, okay? There are pastors that lead churches, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. Some evangelists, well, one evangelist that leads a church is Rick Warren of Saddleback Church. It's an evangelical megachurch. This is their, their mission statement. Our mission is to provide a place where the depressed, the hurting, and hopeless can come and find help. We want to be a place of family, community, and hope. That's their mission. A lot of churches will have language around that. Actually, one of my classes said, if your church, if the mission doesn't involve the Create Commission, you're not a Christian church. You know, our mission should involve the Great Commission. They spell it out real, real clearly. Some mission statements are about bringing the unchurched to Jesus. But in some way, finding those that are depressed, hurting, and hopeless, and bringing good news to them so they can find help. Another thing that I learned is that evangelists create church growth. They are going to add people to the church. A difference with apostles is apostles are multiplying churches. Apostles are um, all these churches that we have in Nepal. We are multiplying churches, not just adding we're not just adding to the number here, 
but we're extending our reach. We're extending the reach of Christianity as a whole. But for there to be multiplication, we have to have that apostolic and prophetic foundation. So evangelists can add to churches, and that's great. We want people to come into the kingdom. But to grow Christianity exponentially, to multiply churches, we have to have that apostolic and prophetic foundation. So what about vocational evangelism? How many of you are evangelists on your jobs? <laughs> We've got a few. Vo that's called, that, the fancy word is vocation. Well, one way of looking at it is called vocational evangelism. So J.R. Wood Woodward said, evangelists help the congregation to be redemptive agents, turning their secular jobs into sacred vocations. So your secular job is really a sacred vocation. It's, it's no less holy or more holy than the preacher or the pastor or the prophet. If you're being Jesus on your job site, that is a holy thing that you are doing being Jesus on your job. And the evangelist also just creates within the congregation a hunger to be salt and light. Because we can, you know, when we've got the pastor taking care of our needs, we can just become fat and happy and just be real comfortable, you know, in our seats and very comfortable. We've got our coffee and we've got our cookies and we've got our comfortable seats. And it's just real easy to forget that we're on a mission and we, we all have different roles in that mission. So one thing that I learned is that there are different types of evangelism. Event-driven evangelism would be like Saturate Global Tent Ministry. It's an event. Um, how many of you were here when Franklin Graham came? That was an event, that was evangelism. The gospel was shared, we, fought, you know, we talked with people, so there are events where people can encounter Jesus for the first time, and that leads to an instantaneous, sudden experience. The biblical example would be the um, Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, he had an instant conversion. Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 3. Now as he was traveling, Saul, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, this was Jesus talking, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul got saved. It was, it was an event. It was instantaneous. There wasn't a lot of arguing, haranguing, debating, apologetics. It was an event. It was, it was an event. But then there's also process evangelism, which means you're in it with the person for the long haul. The example of this would be the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. These people did not know who Jesus was, okay? Jesus is Jesus and two disciples. Luke 24, um, 29 to 31. So, so after they walked together to Emmaus, these disciples, it says, And so they strongly urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. 
And it came about when he had reclined at the table with them that he took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and began giving it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So I don't know how long it takes to walk to Emmaus, but they walked, and they talked, and they talked about this Jesus, and then he said, I'm going to, he stayed with them, they reclined, they ate, and then their eyes were open. Many of you are waiting for the and then and then you've brought your family members to the event. You've brought them to church. They still didn't come to know Jesus. Stay in the process with them because and then there will come a time and then. And then their eyes were open and they recognized him. They walked together. They took meals together. They discussed Jesus. They discussed scripture in the same way, Jesus spent time with his 12 disciples. He spent a lot of time with them. This was, again, process. They eventually discovered his true identity. In Matthew 16, verses um, 15, Jesus says, Who do you yourselves say that I am? And Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They didn't know that on day one. They might have known the name, but not, not really knew who he was. A lot of people know about Jesus, but don't know him, but don't know him. So evangelists help people move closer to Jesus, whether they're just getting to know him or ready to make him as their savior. Um, this quote might be on your handout. Although process and event are two entirely different approaches to evangelizing, they are both nonetheless legitimate methods of bringing people to a point of conversion. So in, in the event, there's a proclamation of the good news. You, you bring them to the tent, the gospel is proclaimed, they get saved. But in process evangelism, it's your presence with them. You know, Jesus didn't proclaim the gospel to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He spent the day with him, maybe, them, maybe days with them. It was presence that made the difference. Um, a quote on your handout, presence is about participating in situations and relationships with the intent of provoking interest in God, spirituality, and the gospel. When my twins came to live with us, the first one came three years ago. So they're my brother's daughters. The first one came three years ago, and we helped her do some things and got her on her way, and she moved back. And then the other one wanted to come. And, y'all, I like my empty nest. I like my empty nest. There's all kinds of room to spread out. There's not as much dishes. There's not as much laundry. An, an empty nest is great. And then one of them asked to come back. And I remember reading in an Oswald Chambers devotional, it basically said, as long as there is someone who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I'm indebted to them until they do. I shared this on Mother's Day. And it was that quote that helped me to see I am indebted to her until she knows Jesus. I am not free to go about and do what I want. And thankfully, my husband has been an amazing Uncle Brian to these girls who, who need to see that there are great men out there. 
And so we have walked with them by our presence. It is presence evangelism that we've been doing. And I've not always been pushy. I'll kind of, now when people are trapped in the car with me, like I'll talk. And they, they have to listen because I'm talking. And so a lot of the times that I've shared the gospel with them, it's been in the car. And I'll push to a certain point, and then I'll know to stop. You know, it'll just be like, like we get to the point and they say, well, I believe I'm good enough to go to heaven. Like, that's right. When you come out with all your sin is like filthy rag, you know, all of sin, you know, our wages, is, that's right where you hit that Romans road. The Holy Spirit will just say, okay, that's good. That's enough for today. It's enough preaching for today. And then something will happen. Like I got a text on Sunday, something that was said, and I got to pick right back up with it. <laughs> Well, what do you think about going to heaven? Why do you think you should get into heaven? What does believing in God versus believing in Jesus have to get into heaven? You know, Jesus, Jesus is the only way. You know, this is where I ended it. This is, Jesus is the way, basically. And then we went on and talked about other things. So you just get a little bit in there every time as Holy Spirit leads you because some people just aren't ready. You know, <laughs> You just share it as you can and in a way that they can accept it for that point. That's how I've been doing it. So I thought, I've always thought I wasn't evangelistic because like I, I do not like confrontation. I've got a book at home. I think I gave it away. It was about confrontation. And every time I thought about reading the book about confrontation, I got scared. I don't think I ever read it because I looked for it a few weeks ago and it was gone. Like, I really do not like confrontation. And sometimes for me, evangelism, if there's no relationship, can feel like confrontation. And so all these years in, in our giving, if you looked at our finances, you know, we've got giving to Global River, but everywhere else I tried to give to evangelism because I thought, well, Jesus said to go into all the world, and if I'm not evangelistic, then I need to at least be supporting those people that are evangelistic. And then lo and behold... You know, this, this book that I read says that most presence evangelists think they're not evangelistic. And when I did the five-fold test, number two was evangelism. And so just because you're not the best at sharing the gospel in Walmart does not mean that you are not imparting the truth of Jesus Christ by the way you live your life. That's what I think at least. But those girls, I remember sharing one day with them, um, they were asking, you know, where was Jesus? You know, where's, where, was, where has God been? And Holy Spirit just said, I was your rescuer. Like, I, that's, that's what I said to them. God sent me. God sent me. God sent a rescuer. And it was me. God has not forgotten you. He sent me. <laughs> you know, God rescued you through our family. And so, you know, every little bit I just share as Holy Spirit leads me. I share and shut up, share and shut up, share and shut up. Because God hasn't forgotten people. Um, let me, I'm going to come back to that in just a second. I want to watch, watch my time to finish my notes. So, different types of evangelists, investors, they pour their lives into someone else. 
inviters. They draw people into strategic environments to be exposed to Jesus. If you invited people to the tent, you were drawing people to a strategic environment to be exposed by G- to be exposed to Jesus. This is um, the woman at the well. After she got saved, she went all around and said, come and see, come and see, come and meet this man. So in the Bible, there are inviters. Convincers, these are people that are skilled at making bold, persuasive presentations of the gospel, and they are okay with confrontation. So some people are like that. This is Apollos in Acts 18. And as I was sharing this with my husband, he said, there are as many different ways to bring people into the kingdom as there are people. Only the Holy Spirit knows how a certain individual will come into the kingdom of God. And that's why we have to lean upon the Holy Spirit. So contextualizing the gospel. Neil Cole said, evangelists can be found wherever lost people are found. They would rather be at a bar than a Bible study. They are more comfortable with the lost than with the found. Now, this is an interesting statement. This is an interesting statement. I'm going to let you do what you want with it. But the point is, evangelists go outside the four walls to where the lost people are. We go to them. That's part of the missional church. Um, Jesus said in Luke 5, 31, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. So we have to go to them. Now don't go, so for me, a lot of the things where I've struggled in my past, they were sexual. I would not be one to go share the gospel in a strip club. Like that is, I would be far, far away. Those people that do that with 514 ministry, I admire them. But because of my past and my weaknesses, and that would not be me. So if you are one that struggles with alcohol addiction, you're not the one to go to the bar. So in all these things, we want to use wisdom. We want to use wisdom. Okay, I'm going to do the last part, and then I'm going to back up. So evangelists must, first of all, pray. Pray. And then they must pray some more. I'm sure Pastor Terry um, probably remembers books that he's read about early evangelists, um, people with great ministries. Some people, when they went to Africa or India or the Orient, they would wait eight years for one convert. Eight years or 10 years or 12 years for the first convert. There was a patience and a tenacity to not give up. So pray and pray some more. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Be humble because we're definitely going to hear some things that we don't agree with as we're sharing the gospel with other people. We want to be humble. And the goal isn't to try to win arguments, but to communicate that you care. Now, we want to speak the truth in a kind manner, but the goal isn't to win the argument about, 
you know, how about creationism or evolution or whatever their hang-up might be. The goal isn't to win the argument, but to influence them in a positive way. So I want to share for just a couple minutes a little bit more about um, contextualizing the gospel. It took me many, it took me many weeks before I could use that word. Let's see, where's what I'm looking for? Okay. So one of my classes, I wrote a research paper on how to take the gospel and put it in a format that you can use to reach gays and lesbians. And I'm not, I'm just going to share just a few highlights from my paper, just so you'll see that as we are going out to reach people, that we need to reach them in a method that communicates that we care. So I'm just going to share a little bit of this, and then we're going to give a few minutes for testimonies and a few minutes for questions. So the first thing is to understand the language that people use. Do you know that the terms, the term homosexual is offensive to a, a gay person or a lesbian? It's offensive. It's like calling some of you words that you wouldn't want to be called. And so when we minister to different people groups, we need to learn, okay, what is their language? What is their terminology? Are these words offensive? The words gay agenda, that's offensive to someone who's a lesbian or gay person. So we need to, first of all, it's just somewhat honor to to learn someone's terminology, to learn the language. Now, we don't want to learn all the cuss words and repeat those, but to just know how they might even refer to themselves. It's called contextualize terminology. And then there's the ability there's to have empathy. Whatever people group it is that God has called you to, we need to have empathy with them, not to judge them. We are so quick to judge and quote scripture and da-da-da-da-da, not to judge. But empathy is the ability to enter into the experience of someone else and to have compassion on them. Don't you know that any lost person that is out there is broken and hurting crying out for help, they're probably depressed, anxious, suicidal. Of my nieces and their girlfriends, three of four tried to commit suicide in the last year. I've driven to one niece's apartment three times this year to see if she was alive or dead. Like, alive or dead. These are broken, hurting, hopeless people. And we like to judge rather than realizing they need love. They don't need our judgment. They need love. This is how we reach them. It's not with judgment, but it's with love, compassion, just acknowledging they're humans. When the church realizes we're all sinners saved by grace, we can have empathy and compassion for other sinners. You know, Jesus, when he ministered, he didn't see categories of people. He didn't take the sinners and break them down into categories of people, like the lesbians. He saw individuals, and he encountered them with truth, but with love. 
He didn't affirm their, their behavior, but he affirmed their humanity. You know, even if we're offended by the clothing someone wears, big shirt that says F you or whatever, you know, we can still, hey, how are you doing today? It's good to see you. How are things? How's your day been? We can still love people even if their sin is right in our face. We can still love them and acknowledge that they're humans. You know, Jesus crossed boundaries. He went to the houses of the sinners. He went there. He loved the marginalized. Jesus found those on the margins of society, the outcasts, the unclean, the blind, the sinful. And so we just, we can get into our holy huddle or we can be willing to send out, be sent out to some places that aren't the most comfortable. Now you want to be wise about it. You don't want to go somewhere where you know you're going to fall into sin. But Jesus, he cared about those people that were on the outskirts of society. A lot of times we see groups of people and we think that they're issues and agendas, but they're people to be loved. In all cases of evangelism, where I talked about we need um, the ability to listen, to be a good listener, with everyone that we encounter, we need to be willing to listen to their stories. You know, people that are broken and at the bottom of the barrel and bound and, you know, find themselves homeless on the streets, being prostitutes, whatever it is, they didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I want to be this. They found themselves there. And we need to listen to their stories. We need to understand that there's a deeper narrative. We need to acknowledge their struggle. They didn't just wake up that one day and say, oh, I want to be this. There's, there's reasons. There's reasons that broken people remain broken, and they need a Savior. And when we listen to them, it shows that we love them. So we want to be careful not to confuse an agenda with a person. That was one of my conclusions. And, you know, and today, especially with things like sex trafficking, that's become where we're not so afraid. Like I was really proud of myself. God has brought me so far that I was able to, I've been able to assist in a prayer ministry with someone that had gone through that. And at one point, I never thought I would be able to do that because of my own background. But God will slowly enable us to go those places where we're not comfortable. You know, at one point I might have judged them. You know, we, we if it weren't but the grace of God, so would I. You know, so the point in evangelism is taking the love and compassion of Jesus to somebody who needs it. It's, it's the sick and the hurting that need the physician, not those that look like us and dress like us and act like us and talk like us. Okay? Did you want to add something before I ask for a testimony? Yeah. 
I, I was real encouraged by the survey, actually, because um, if if you were to ask me uh, who are the people that demonstrate the evangelistic uh, fivefold in our church, Pastor Willie and Doug would be at the top of the list, uh, um, and then Brenton Irving, sure, if you know how Brenton is, and James Harmon. Mama Addie is a, if you, you think about the crossover uh, between several of the gifts or at least a calling or a draw in that area, Mama's a, a pastoral evangelist. She's got the heart of a pastor. That's why she runs all the heck all over the place from the hospital to here, right? So when I, when I look at the numbers of people that said, yeah, but if you think about the role, that's why Loretta would say, I was surprised that I, but Loretta is a process evangelist. Um, she comes and she is always pastor. She does it such a great way. Um, we need to help people connect. We need to get them connected. And how are we going to, she's the one who came up with the process for uh, doing the, you know, her and Chris have set this thing up where uh, we have people at the connect in the cafeteria and the cafe afterwards. But so, and always concerned about discipleship growth, right? She's got me signed up with the navigators and we're going to be doing uh, when, um, Andrew and, and uh, Lily are going to do the outreach evangelism. They're going to start, I think, next Tuesday, actually. Uh, they'll be setting up for Tuesday nights to go out. We need some uh, intercessors. This morning, this morning they announced having intercessors praying while they're out doing the treasure hunting out there. So if you have that heart on Tuesday nights from 6 to 8.30, come here in the cafe. There'll be some folks that will either be at home or here praying, covering, and doing the treasure hunt. Uh, but th the point of that is... The, the process evangelist, we need all of the elements of it, right? And so, yeah, I'm encouraged by that. And now, if you look at Pastor Willie and Doug, it's more of a, I put down raw urgency. You put it nicely, convincers, right? It's kind of like, you know, you're going to go to hell if you, where are you? You know what happens when you die? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, we, we, we kind of tease Pastor Willie. He goes, when it comes to marriage counseling, Willie is not the, we need Pastor Nilsa to be part of that process, okay? Let me just put it that way, right? You're going to cut right to the chase, you know? Are you in sin? Are you not? <laughs> anyway, so, but there's the effectivity of all that, the piece, that's why every joint supplies. Another, I was, I was kind of meditating on this. I've, this is a great example. The only one I think that is called out in the scriptures as an evangelist is Philip. It's the only place in scriptures, the evangelist. Now there's lots of evangelism and the, and the gift of evangel, but uh, just kind of follow with me on this one. In Acts chapter six, I think I might've used this example at some point recently. It's that, what are you doing for God? <laughs> are you warming the chair or what are you, you know, it's that place you need to be acting for God, doing something, right? And so, um, there's a need that shows up and the, the cranky widows between the Hellenist widows, the Jews and the, right? They're, they're having issues with the food minute. They're getting more food than we are and you guys are partial. And the, the apostles are like, oh Lord, we need help here, right? So they find seven guys that in Acts chapter six who are full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts chapter six. One of them is Stephen. The other one's Philip, right? The next chapter we find Stephen's murdered by Saul, and the church gets scattered. So think about this. You're running the House of Mercy ministry. They know who you are, the seven guys who are running that ministry, and the one of them we just murdered. 
So Philip ends up, I don't know why he went to Samaria, but that might have been a safe, smart move. They, the Jews don't go to Samaria because that's where the racial hatred is. Remember? And so, so he goes to Samaria, but he's innately an evangelist. And we find out in Acts chapter uh, 8, he's preaching the word, the kingdom, and many are coming. I was casting out demons. He, he's leading people to the Lord. He's getting them water baptized. But here's why you need the full fivefold ministry. They are not baptized in the Holy Ghost. But the big guns, Peter and John, who are the apostles, who have the vision, they come, they get, wait a minute, you mean the, the, the racial, those guys in Samaria getting saved? Wait, we got to go see this. They arrive and they see the work of the evangelist, but they need and they deliver. It says the Holy Ghost had not yet fallen on them. And the apostle comes in and says, Puts the, and that word completes that, and then you see the growth of the church, right? And then what happens? 20 some odd years later, the time is a little, we find out in Acts chapter 21, the whole thing that they have come now to the house of the evangelist Philip, who has four virgin daughters who operate in the gift of prophecy. So you think about the, the how that starts. There are deacon working in the ministry who say, yes, I'll go do something. And then they get called in the process, takes years to get there, and he becomes an evangelist. And the outcome of that is his family has virgin daughters who are prophetic. So you, you need the whole five-fold ministry to operate together that every joint supplies. That's why in Ephesians 4.12, when we talk about the five-fold ministry, the gifts that are given by Christ himself, as the administrators of the church. We cover this in 1 Corinthians 12, right? The Father has the operations. I need a first fruits. I need a global river. I need first Baptist. There's an operation in the Father's heart that says, this has to happen. I'll put a call on them. The Father released that gift. Is that of 1 Corinthians chapter 12? And then Jesus brings the administrators, the five-fold pieces that can do the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry who are empowered by the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians 12, to bring all the gifts to operate so this thing works. And when any of those pieces are missing, it's not as effective. And so, so I'm encouraged when we do the survey and we find out people know who our evangelists are, who our pastors are, who the, the prophet is, right? And so... I'm just really encouraged that, uh, yeah, these things are becoming more obvious when people take surveys. So, yeah, that, that encourages me to see the growth of, um, of the church, who people who start in a certain part of ministering, and then the Lord calls them. I mean, when I think about Lisa, and you've been on this journey how many years now? Seven. Seven years. You came and said, you said uh, I think um, I'd like to preach or teach. I said, okay. Right. We started on a Wednesday night, went through some difficult growth, right? And powerful. Now, two years in the process, Nico, Diana, and Lisa are going to be ordained. It's been a two-year process, but October we're going to ordain them. And it's, it's one of the great satisfactions of my life to watch people platform and grow to turn this thing over. So, yeah, so that's just really a very satisfying part of ministry. There's a lot of not things that aren't very satisfying, but that is. So, so let's open it up to questions. What, what do you have that uh, Lisa will answer? 
<laughs> about either evangelism or any uh, parts of the fivefold ministry or giftings or, or anything. What's on your heart? So I, I, um, I want to add a couple of things. You know, Lisa talked about uh, going into the byways and the highways as the Lord will lead. I want to emphasize that you have to be sent there. You have to be sent there because if you are not sent there, you open yourself to attacks. There's a, there's a grace that comes on you to go wherever God sends you. So whether it's to go to prostitute, to go to the bar, to go to those places, there's a grace that will come on you to do that. So that's very important. And that cuts across all callings, whether it's in the fivefold ministry or any type of calling. There's a grace that God will give you that will allow you to withstand. Because we have to remember there's darkness behind the sin. That's what's preventing those people from getting saved. That's what's keeping them in that bondage. So that strong man is not going to let them go unless God has given you the grace to go and address it. So you need to have that call to go there. Otherwise, that's where we see some casualties. People go because they have zeal. It's good to have zeal, but you have to have the call to back it up. If God has called you to do it, it's going to be effortless. Another thing that's very prevalent and very powerful in the evangelist office, somebody that's called into that office, the miracle gifts is prevalent there because it's a dinner bell. You know, you, you see somebody like Reinhard Bonnke in Africa. A blind eyes open and blind eyes open. The lame, I mean, he just declares it because God has gifted him and called him into that office. So miracles and healings are very prevalent in that office because it's a way to advertise to people that are not saved that Jesus is real, his power is real, he loves people, he's going to meet them right there. So I just want to add those two things that you have to have that call to put your nose in those places. Otherwise, you can get burned. You can get really burned. That's good. Yeah, the needless casualties of war. Questions? Yeah. yeah. I was just going to go out on a limb here. Go out on a limb. That's good. Uh, this is embarrassing, but I find myself in situations where I'm kind of beat down. I'm at the bottom of the barrel of stuff. And then I'll find myself ministering to people in the middle of it. Does that make me look bad? Like, okay, your life's not right. Maybe you don't have enough money or you look bad today. And then somehow you're trying to witness. I mean, I don't know. No. Just obviously we need to be careful about our witness because we want to have a valid witness. But if the Lord puts an unction, sometimes in weakness, when I've talked with people who have been involved in drugs and brokenness, they may be even high, but they're telling me the truth. They're witnessing truth because they've got truth in it. So, so um, if the Holy Spirit's calling you to it, be a witness. We don't have to be all cleaned up in order to be a witness, but obviously your witness matters. And eventually we have to mature in our, in our walk for holiness because holiness will be, as long as it doesn't become a religious Look at me, you know, self, self, I don't know if anybody else want to add to that. Thank you. So, so I just want to speak to that because um, 
just the other day, my cousin said, man, thanks for sharing that because I just thought you had everything together, Molly. So you are actually more relatable, more like I can do it. If she's going to try and keep on trying, well, I'm going to keep trying too. So please do not give up on them because you will probably find some really good friends out of that walk because when you get on the other side, you're going to build something so strong and so just powerful together for other people to witness. God will make you stronger. That's good. Hold on, because we're, we're on, we're on live he, he, he tells us when the Holy Ghost come upon us, we will be a witness for him. Yes, so everybody can be a witness. You know, Veronica, scripturally in, um, in John chapter 4, when Jesus shares with the woman at the well, and then she goes and evangelizes. I mean, she's living with a man. You know, she, she had done a lot of things wrong. Her life was not together. But she got saved. And then she went and told everybody in the surrounding region, come and see this man. Come and see this man. So she was just saved, not even cleaned up yet, sharing the gospel. John 4. Another example of that, it's like sometimes we think, well, it's going to take five years and you get all cleaned up. And then how about uh, the demonized man with thousands of demons? The next day, he's fully clothed. He's not naked, not ripping chains apart. And he said, I want to go with you. Jesus, no, go and go to the cities. And he becomes an evangel. He operates in evangelism to those cities. So it was like, okay, Jesus came in and I'm now, now he probably didn't have his Fivefold all put together and his theology all straight, but God used him, right? Yeah. Transformation, yeah. Any other thought? I feel like the, this is the tough thing to do. When you have some somebody you're witnessing to, let's just do the works, work situation. And uh, you're nice to them. That They may be a, a gay person, but you're nice to them and and uh, but there is a time that you have to tell them the truth and you have to say i believe this and we can be nice to them and and, and earn their trust and all that but but eventually we're going to have to say i think we're going to have to say i believe that that that's wrong yeah. i don't yeah. believe in it yeah yeah we're, we're not undercover christians right and, and with lisa's uh, what she's sharing and i've read her paper on this is her nieces know exactly where she stands and where Brian stands. And we're not condoning the lifestyle, but we love you in the midst of it and we will rescue in the midst of it. You know, Jesus said, you'll be known by your love, not by how well you preach the truth. Now you have to preach the truth. So there's something, this is, uh, it's, that's a difficult walk because we won't condone and compromise. That's, that's the challenge that's going on in the church right now. The whole, the whole challenge across uh, the, the church environment right now is people are compromising and they're watering down the truth. That's why I loved having William here. The truth is the truth. It's not positive thinking. Positive thinking will lead you right to hell too. You, you got to have the truth that will set you free. So we want to tell the truth. And there's a time, Lisa was saying, there's a point where I, they can only take so much truth now. And I think it's really wise if we just say the Bible says, those who try to get pinned down, 
Um, you know, if someone tries to pin you down, well, so what do you think about it? Here's what the Bible says. I'm a, I have a bi- biblical worldview. I am a biblical follower. And here's what the Bible says. Well, does, do you condemn? This is what the Bible says. Let the word speak for you, right? And I think that way you avoid, look, I'm not, you want to hide behind the scriptures? Yeah, that's good. It's, Jesus said the word, is, the word is true, you know? And so, yeah. Because we don't want the blood to be required on our hands. So you must speak truth. And he says, don't you be a partaker in another man's sin. Don't be a partaker. You stand against that sin now. Amen. That's good. If I can add to what my Mahadi is saying. Yes, you speak truth, but in love. They have to see the love, but you still have to give them the truth. You can't dance around it. You can't sugarcoat it. You can't water it down. That's not the gospel. Jesus told the truth, and he told us to go and preach the good news that Jesus will save you out of what you are going through, but we do it in love. And, and knowing your audience and the timing. I mean, Jesus was, you know, with the sinners, he, he went to dinner with them. But when he got to the religious guys, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs and you're a bunch of sons of the devil. Like, that doesn't feel very loving. But, you know, wow, he told them the truth. But, and, you know, we do know that Nicodemus and some of them came, right? They were believers. So know your audience, ask the Holy Ghost to tell you what to say, when to say it, that strategy of the Lord. Um, when I worked in the school and I actually was in an office and there was like three of us. And the one of the ladies that I worked with was a lady, another man who was Jewish. And she started being friends with me and just, you know, started sharing. We go for walks and share about what God is doing in her life, what God is her friend, talking to her and <clears throat> what he's done. And I said, really, I don't have that experience. And, and then so we would talk about it uh, in the office that we, the three of us were. And, um, and then eventually the man who was Jewish said, he started asking questions. So it was just amazing how it worked out because he, 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 he went to, uh, I said, I think I'm going to check out this church. She says, you go to any church you want. And she was Catholic, but she was charismatic. And so anyway, he came back saved and he, he was all excited and everything. And he said, I've never experienced a guy like this and all this. I said, See, that, that's and, and, and he encouraged me to go to church to find out what it was like after that. So it, it's just amazing how we were put together when I think about it. And it, she brought both of us to the Lord. You know, that, that witness in the environment reminds me of a story. It was pretty, you know, as a, as a teenager growing up with my mom, that was, whew. anyway, she'd come home with these stories. And she was running the chapel. She's an administrator at the hospital, Brookhaven Hospital in, in Long Island. And she'd come, and she's running the chapel. So she's bringing in pastors from all over, and she's got all these stories, and my dad was not a believer at the time. It it was a wild environment. Anyway, I remember that she came home, and she told us that in her work environment, she's an administrator, and there was one woman, I I won't use her name, 
She's in heaven now, praise the Lord. But she was so angry at my mom. You need to stop talking to my mom. You know, she'd witness. She would just witness that she did it lovingly. Finally, the woman said, stop talking about it. I won't have this anymore. I'm going to report you to, to uh, the, the HR. And, you're, you're, and so mom got quiet, still ran chapel. All right, the woman has an event, ends up in a coma. And she's in a coma, and the, parent, the, the whole family is a bunch of drinkers and everything. Somewhere on Long Island, they've got the body, and hospice is in the house waiting for her to die in the coma. And all the family's there partying and drinking and waiting for her to die. And the Holy Spirit tells mom, go see this woman. She finds out where she lived. They dri she drives there and, and uh, knocks on the door. And she said, all liquor bottles are out out front. There, you know. And uh, they say, yeah, she's in the back room. And they're just waiting for her to pass on in the total coma. She walks in and mom sits down. And the woman comes out of the coma and says, I've been waiting for you to come. Leads her to the Lord, goes back in the coma. The people see the woman talking to my mother. They run out of the house. They, they're out of here like, oh, my, what the heck is this? Right? She come, my mom comes home and tells me this story. That's the kind of stuff. So I, you, you notice I didn't have a chance, right? With the, I was going to get saved one way or another. But anyway, I'd come home and go, Mom, that just plain sounds weird, you know? And so anyway, my point of that is live out loud in your environment, but know your environment. Don't be pushy. Let the Holy Ghost do it, and, uh, and he'll, he'll accomplish his good work. Amen? Yeah. Bethany. Um, I think like what y'all were saying, speaking the truth, <clears throat> sorry, it's okay to speak the truth, but you can't push it onto somebody all at once. You kind of say, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, like just, I'm not saying sure good or anything. Yeah, you speak of course the truth, but if you just, you know, there's someone there, and then you kind of hit them with everything. The gospel says this, don't be doing this, be doing this, you know, all at once. You're going you're gonna to scare them away from God, not, and you're going to push them away instead of pulling them towards. So you got to kind of make it a little bit of a yep. journey, I'll say. And that's, and that's kind of what Lisa was saying is know when to stop on it and stop. And Brenton, Brenton Irvin, I love his testimony. He's shared it many times. When... When he was mixing Christianity and the worldliness, his witness was not there. They were, you know, he'd, say, he'd, he'd, you know, he'd be hot and, and he'd be talking about, the, and, and they, they wouldn't get saved until he laid it all down. And they said, now, now your witness is different. And so there's something about the compromise and yet doing it in a way that he'll give you the strategic plan on how to, how to do this. So, so think about this. Well, let's stand. Um, as you go forth tomorrow, neighborhood, shopping, Belk, um, and the opportunity arrives. Sometimes it just catches you like surprise. Um, I was, uh, Adrian's my dentist, praise God. He's a great dentist. So uh, there's, a, there's a, one of the folks that works in his office. I didn't know this one of my last visit. Man, we just had this moment between me and the hygienist. We're like, in the kingdom, and I'm trying to talk to her about, man, she's asking me all about mission. It was one of these moments, and I got to pray with her about her child, and she opened up her heart. Wait for the moments when they surprise you like that. It's like you walk out of there like, wow, thank you, Jesus. That was, that was unexpected. So I'm, I'm asking for the divine unexpected to kind of just, one, go open with your heart. Lord, you want to use me today? But then when they come upon you, just celebrate. So, Lord, I pray 
Lord, the spirit of evangelism, as we, uh, Andrew came with his heart, he and his, his wife Lily, that we're going to start the outreaches like we saw with, uh, with Saturate. So I pray for, for fruit and also pray for the other aspects of evangelism for the house, the process evangelism, the, the neighbor evangelist, the family evangelist who gives you opportunity. We had one lady this morning sharing about she hadn't spoken to a cousin in 20 years and the Holy Spirit told her to call. That door opened two hours on the phone and this person said, no one has ever in my family talked to me about Jesus. So these are moments, God, that I'm, I'm asking for that spirit of evangelism, that revelation, that, that unction of the Holy, that we are to go into all the world and the old world, it's right here. It's not just in Nepal and it's not just in coast, it's here. So I thank you, Lord. We want to see many saved, brought into the kingdom. And we give you thanks, Lord, in Jesus' name.